Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. In this episode of the podcast, I want to talk about a lot of the stuff that happened in probably the craziest week of the season so far, week nine. A lot of upsets, just a lot of big news, some stuff off the field. Most of the stuff is on the field. And we we learned a lot of stuff, and this week was a great reminder to NFL fans all over the place that nothing is certain in the NFL. No one knows anything about any one team. If you told me that the Bills were going to only score six points against the Jaguars, who would only beat them by three points... I would say that you're crazy. To tell me that the Jaguars were going to beat the Bills 9-6? to that That is fascinating. And it, I still find it unbelievable that that happened. A lot of very weird games. We saw probably the worst penalty of the season. The taunting call that you know, lost the Bears the game on prime time on Monday Night Football. And that really sucked to watch. As someone that was rooting for the Steelers in that game, I was still pissed when I saw that because I, as someone that enjoys watching NFL games as an NFL fan, I hate seeing a team lose a game or another team win a game because the other team got a penalty for something that shouldn't be a penalty at all. And the way that the NFL tried to double down on it and, you know, explain why it was a penalty, it was just stupid. It was just stupid. Oh, That entire game was terribly officiated. But, you know, I don't want to go too deep into that. All you need to know is that the Steelers should not have won that game. And that taunting call that lost the Bears the game? Stupid. Just stupid. That might have been the worst penalty I've ever seen in my entire life. In my 15 years of life, that might have been the worst penalty I've ever seen. And I, I don't even think I'm exaggerating. Anyone who was watching that game would completely agree. It was horrible. But anyway, I was saying with the upsets, there were four major ones, in my opinion. And I want to go over all four of them and really how it's too early to overreact to any of the four yet. Okay, the first one I want to talk about is the Cowboys' loss, 30-16 to against the Broncos. Myself, along with several other people were extremely high on this Cowboys team as of late. I had them last week somewhere, I believe, in the top three in my power rankings because this Cowboys team looks extremely good, all right? Even after, you know, what looked like a kind of sloppy game with, with Cooper Russ playing quarterback, you know, it was their backup quarterback. It's hard to play well. But this week, they just looked horrible. That game should have been a shutout. It would have been a shutout if it weren't for two, I would say, kind of lucky 
garbage time touchdowns where the defense basically gave up for the Broncos. The Cowboys were absolutely obliterated by the Broncos, all right? They were not even remotely close to the team that everyone thought that they were going into last week, all right? They did not play well at all. There's no sugarcoating it. But I don't think that we should overreact too much. You know, I I mean, it was a devastating loss. It was, you know, fucking blowout, okay? But I, I don't think that this is anything that means much to the Cowboys. They're already in a good spot. They're probably winning the division. I, I, I don't really see how they wouldn't. It's not like they have a lot of competition. That wasn't a must-win game or anything. And, yeah, they looked terrible, but it's one game... Let's calm down. If they have another bad game next week, then if I'm a Dallas fan, I really start to worry. But as of right now, I'm not concerned at all with that game. It's just a bad game. It happens with almost every team. And another team that had a bad game were the Buffalo Bills. Losing 9-6 to against the Jaguars? Are you kidding me? But yet again, very similar to the Cowboys. It's just one bad game. Let's not overreact. The defense still played well, only allowing nine points. I don't care what team you're playing against, nine points, that is nothing. Okay, if you are losing a game and your defense only allowed nine points, your offense didn't play well at all. And the Bills' offense didn't play well at all. They have no running game whatsoever, and they really haven't for a while. But... You know, it's one game. Let's not overreact. I still think the team has flaws, but there's their strengths are so strong it makes up for their lack of a running game because they're so good at throwing the ball and their defense is amazing. They don't really need a running game much. But when you face a team like the Jaguars that, you know, is going to go all in against the pass, I wouldn't be surprised if more teams start doing that. And if more teams start doing that, it's going to be tougher for the Bills to start blowing teams out 40 to nothing like they did against the Texans. But yet again, one game, let's not overreact. Okay, the other big loss that I want to talk about, and this one does not have the same message. This one, I'm not going to say not to overreact to because this team hasn't actually shown me enough to believe that they're some top-tier high-caliber team. The Saints losing to the Falcons. 27-25. The rest of the season is going to tell us a lot about this team. Despite being nine weeks into the season, I still don't know what to think of this team. I don't think the team, especially the offense, has found its identity yet. And most of... That's mainly because they lost their quarterback... Like, that, that's always going to make a team struggle to find its identity. But I I think the first step of the Saints becoming a playoff t- contender is them finding out what their offensive identity is under Trevor Simeon. Find out what works for Simeon. Find out how this offense can, you know, function with this new you know, not all that great quarterback taking snaps. Whether that involves getting Alvin Kamara more involved, which he has been really involved with the offense. Whether, you know, you want to put some 
more like strange gadget plays, which we know Sean Payton has like an infinite amount of those. Like whenever you think Sean Payton's out of tricks, he pulls a new random strange formation or strange play out of his, you know, bag of magic weird plays that always work. All right. Sean Payton knows how to help these quarterbacks that aren't too great because he's just an offensive mastermind, really. Sean Payton's great when it comes to, you know, creativity and helping these very, you know, I, I'm i trying to find a, you know, light way to say it, but I can't, trying to help a bad quarterback because Simeon is not a good quarterback. Sean Payton knows how to help these quarterbacks that aren't good. Trevor Simeon isn't good. I want to see him do some more, you know, unique stuff to help Simeon and the offense. Because because I still think the defense is very good, although they did allow a very easy drive to Atlanta at the end of the game, and that lost them the game. But I still think the defense is good. It was just one bad drive that hurt them big, and I want the offense to, you know, be a little bit better. I want them to help Simeon a lot more. And then the other huge upset that surprised everyone, or at least surprised me a lot, the Titans beating the Rams. After losing Derrick Henry, I legitimately thought that this team wouldn't make the playoffs, but I'm I'm not concerned anymore. They don't... Apparently, they don't need Derrick Henry as much as I thought they did. I thought Ryan Tannehill would severely struggle without Derrick Henry. Seems like he won't. (laughs) It's safe to say that. And this defense is great. The Titans' defense is great. I think that game was more about the Titans proving that they're a damn good team than it was the Rams, you know, losing and doing bad. Yeah, the Rams didn't play well, obviously. They only scored 16 points, but I would say the the Titans proved that they were a damn good team. It wasn't just the Rams, you know, shooting themselves in the foot. The Titans earned that win. The Titans played really, really well, especially coaching-wise. Mike Vrabel did a great job game planning, all right? Their their defense is extremely disciplined, and that's something that's very difficult to do, to get all 11 players on the defense to work in unison and have really well-coordinated zone coverage. I, I know that's a strange way to describe it, but that's if you're a good zone defense, you know exactly when to pass on your defender or pass on the receiver or tight end that you're covering, okay? The Titans, all 11 of their defenders, everyone that's in coverage, knows exactly what the other people in coverage are thinking. So they know exactly when to pass on who. They do a great job at it. They are, if you ask me, I think they're the best zone coverage team in the entire NFL. They do a great job passing on defenders from one zone to another. And the offense has played really well. Okay, I, I I underestimated this offense. I really did. 
getting 28 points against a pretty good Rams defense, that's that's hard to do. Did Stafford have two horrible interceptions that the Rams probably would have won without? Yeah. But no no team can win without at least getting a little bit lucky, right? The Rams have looked amazing with an electric offense under a veteran quarterback who hasn't made many mistakes going into this game. But those mistakes that he didn't make in the past couple of weeks, he started making the mistakes in this game. Which, you know, it's good that he got it out of his system because now you won't have to worry about it during playoffs because it's it's very difficult for a quarterback to have a perfect season. It's not going to happen. It's unrealistic. So, you know, it's better that these mistakes are happening in week 9, week 10, than it is for them to happen later in the season. Uh, I still think this Rams team is incredible, but I, I think this game was more of the Titans proving that they're extremely good than it was the Rams proving that they're bad. I think that the Rams are still very good, and I, I think that this just proved that the Titans can be a very good team that could represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. Now, let's move off from these, you know, from these huge upsets. Let's talk about two coaches that I believe are going to be on the hot seat. And a lot of people are talking about them being on the hot seat. The first one I want to talk about is Kyle Shanahan. A lot of people are questioning how good of a head coach Kyle Shanahan is. And I'll admit, I'm a huge Kyle Shanahan guy. I've been one ever since he was hired. I've always said he's an offensive mastermind. I love the way he designs his offense. And the the play design is just incredibly creative. I love it. But since 2017, the team is only 32 and 40. With only one season above 500. All right? That isn't good. I can't I can't defend that. I can't. I'm, I'll admit, Kyle Shanahan, he should be on the hot seat right now. He hasn't done as much as you may think he has. I, I personally, when I first heard people saying that Kyle Shanahan's on the hot seat, I was like, no way, you're overreacting. Kyle Shanahan's still one of the best coaches in the league. But then I looked into it. I heard what people were saying. And, you know, there's not really much I could do to defend the guy. He hasn't done a very good job as the 49ers head coach up to this point. I said that he's 32 and 40 as a head coach since 2017. Well, it gets worse. If you take out 2019, when the team was 13 and 3 and made the Super Bowl, they're only 19 and 34. 37, sorry. That is horrible. All right? That that shows that that year was an outlier. That's the one season that they finished above 500 during Shanahan's couple of years as the head coach. This loss against Colt McCoy and the Cardinals really started up this hot seat talk, and I see why. I still think the offensive play design is brilliant, genius. Some of the most creative plays I've ever seen were designed by Kyle Shanahan. But if the team can't win under him, he clearly shouldn't be a head coach. 
Am I saying that they should fire him right now? Am I saying that they should even fire him this year? No. But I'm saying they should start to, you know, think about it. If there's a head coach prospect that they really like, maybe you do get rid of him before the year ends. But unless you have, like, a good plan, I'd stick with him for a little bit longer. And then once, you know, you find that guy you think can be the head coach for for several decades, that is when you move on from Shanahan. I think the 49ers should begin to think about who their next head coach should be, but don't just fire Kyle Shanahan because he's not good. Because he hasn't been doing a good job. And don't get me wrong. He has not been doing a good job. But if you don't have a good coach in mind to replace him, don't do it. I don't think they should fire him midseason. I think they should let him finish the season. Then fire him if they have someone better. If they know someone better. And the other coach that's on the hot seat. Mike Zimmer. He's just done terrible. All right. Mike Zimmer will definitely be gone for I think he'll be the first I think he'll be the first head coach fired this year. Keep in mind John Gruden wasn't fired, he resigned. So I think Mike Zimmer is gonna be the first head coach firing of this season. Because the the Vikings should be a much better team than they are. That is no secret. Anyone that is familiar with their roster would know. In terms of talent, they're probably somewhere in the top five in the league. They have a loaded roster. They have no business having a losing record at the moment, okay? Their team has Justin Jefferson, incredibly talented receiver. Adam Thielen, a very, very good role player at receiver. Dalvin Cook is one of the most talented running backs in the league. A pretty solid offensive line if you want to talk about talent. Kirk Cousins is a good game manager. Their defense, Eric Kendricks, one of the best inside linebackers in the NFL. Just so many players. Harrison Smith, just a lot of extremely talented players on this team. They have no business being this bad. No business being this bad. All five of their losses this season were one-possession games. The play calling has been horrible for the Vikings. There is no reason Mike Zimmer should still have his job by the end of the year. All right? No reason whatsoever. He's supposed to be a defensive mind of the coach. The defense has not been that good. All right? This year for the Vikings, they, they could have been a really good team. They could have made it divisional round, possibly NFC championship. And they're doing this. They might not even they're probably not even making the playoffs. They are not a good team. And I think ninety percent of the blame goes to the coaching staff. Especially Mike Zimmer. Alright, let's talk about one of the big off off the field stories of this year. And especially of this week, probably the biggest thing that has been happening over the couple past couple of days now we don't know where this guy is going to sign and I talked about him last week OBJ has been cut by the Browns cleared waivers he said he's going to take a couple of days to think about where he wants to go 
And I want to talk about seven landing spots for him that I find to be very realistic. I didn't rank them, but I'm just going to go through the seven landing spots and you could do what you want with this information. I'm just going to really analyze all these landing spots, why he would go to the Patriots, maybe why he would go to the Ravens. Just my analysis and do whatever you want with that information. Let's start with the Patriots. All right, this is personally the team I think he is going to go to. I think that this is the favorite to get him. So the the main things that I'm looking at when I look at where OBJ is going to go, I'm looking at how which team is going to give him the most targets, which team is he a good scheme fit for, which team needs a wide receiver, which team can contend, and which teams have a good quarterback. Now, I'm going to start with the Patriots. Targets. He's going to get a lot of targets on the Patriots. There's no. Who do you think is going to get more targets? Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne? There's no competition for him. He's going to get all the targets. He, he's perfect for the scheme. The Patriots love to stay inside the numbers, whether it's a pass play, run play. They love to stay inside the numbers. Most of the routes that the team runs, inside the numbers. It's an in-breaking route. OBJ's perfect for that. That's OBJ's biggest strength when he's running a slant, an in. That's OBJ's biggest strength. He's a perfect fit for this scheme. Now, do the Patriots need a wide receiver? Absolutely. Without a doubt. What? Without a doubt in my mind. Now, are the Patriots a contender? I would say that they're a contender. I would. I would say that they're a very good team. Super Bowl, probably not. But I could see them making a deep playoff run, yes. Good quarterback? I would say so. I think Mac Jones is good. And I think OBJ would definitely not be facing the problem of being open and Mac Jones not seeing him. Because Mac Jones is... One of his biggest strengths are his field vision. So if OBJ's open, he's getting the ball. Now, the next team I want to talk about is the Ravens. Is he going to get targets there? Yeah, not not as much as you would get with the Patriots. But he would get targets. The problem is the Ravens are still going to run the ball a lot. They're a run-heavy offense. They're designed to run the ball a lot. Scheme. I don't think that OBJ is much of a scheme fit for the team. Odell, is he a little bit of a deep threat? Yeah, but I think the Ravens, they want someone who could consistently stretch the field. At OBJ's age, he can't do that as well as he used to be able to. He could still fit that role, I guess, but if if you're getting Odell, you want a receiver that can consistently get open across the middle. That the Ravens don't really use their wide receivers like that. That's more of Mark Andrews' role on the offense. Do the Ravens need a wide receiver? Yes, they do. Hollywood Brown, he's been good. He has been good. But it would really help to get another guy with him. Rashad Bateman, he hasn't really had that breakout game yet, although I still think that he's going to be phenomenal. Are the Ravens a contender? Yeah, yeah, they are. That's that's no secret. Good quarterback? 
Now, we all know Lamar Jackson's a good quarterback. How good is he at throwing the ball? I still think he's a good thrower of the football. Without a doubt. I mean, he could definitely throw the ball well. That If you've seen him throw, you would know. He can... If you're open, he'll throw it to you, and you'll get the ball. He's not going to, like, overthrow you or anything. But I would say there's better quarterbacks in terms of throwing the ball and field vision, which that's kind of what worries me. I'm If Odell Beckham goes there, I can see him being open and Lamar Jackson not throwing it to him, and instead Lamar Jackson just going to run. I could definitely see that happening a lot, and that could just be another problem for him. Okay, so the next team I want to talk about, the Packers. Is he going to get targets there? Yeah, yeah, he'll get targets. Not Yet again, not as many as he would with the Patriots because they had Devontae Adams, but he will be a very good second option for that team. Is he a scheme fit? Yeah. Yeah, you know, they like to do some of the shorter routes. Odell Beckham could help with that a lot. I I think that he's a good scheme fit for the team. I wouldn't say he's like some amazing scheme fit like I think he is for the Patriots. But he definitely fits their scheme. Do the Packers need a wide receiver? Yes, they do. They need someone opposite of Devontae Adams. They still are in need of that. They've been in need of that for a while now. OBJ would fit that role very well. Are the Packers contenders? Absolutely. And do they have a good quarterback? Definitely. So the Packers, a very likely place for them. Now the Saints, will he get targets there? Yeah, he, he'll get... I think he'll honestly get more targets there than he would with the Packers. Like, they have no... They don't really have anyone else to throw the ball to, and I think getting OBJ, that would really help Simeon. The problem is... And this is the first... Them and the Ravens also don't have a lot of cap space. I haven't really been mentioning cap space. But the... Let let me go back and talk about cap space because I forgot to. The Patriots, I think they have enough cap space to pay them. The Ravens, they don't. They would have to make some cap room. I'm not sure how they would do that. They definitely negotiate a couple offers to make the cap room for them. Packers, $4.6 million. They could pay them, probably. Saints... They, they don't even have a million dollars in cap space. But Mickey Loomis is one of the best GMs in the league. He'll be able to do something to free up cap room in order to get OBJ. Now, where would I leave off? Scheme? They run a West Coast offense. I think Odell Beckham could definitely fit that scheme. I, I think that would be, other than the Patriots, that's probably the best scheme fit here. Saints really need a receiver. Desperate need of one to replace Michael Thomas, who's out for the year. Are they a contender? Not as much of a contender as the Packers, not as much of a contender as the Ravens, but I would still say that they're a contending team. Do they have a good quarterback? No. Trevor Simeon is not good. Sorry. sorry. I, I tried to sugarcoat it earlier, but now, now I'm I'm really just... He's not good. All right, He's a backup for a reason. Or Sorry, he's a third string for a reason. He's not very good. I don't think Odell Beckham would want to go to the Saints just for Trevor Simeon. Unlike with the Packers where you go there probably just for Aaron Rodgers. 
Raiders. He'll get targets there. With Henry Ruggs gone, they need someone to replace him. And sure, they got Deshaun Jackson, but OBJ and Deshaun Jackson, that's a huge jump. Scheme, he fits the scheme. They're a West Coast offense. I I think he, he fits the scheme very well, yes. Do they need a wide receiver? Yeah. Yeah, they do. They need someone to replace Henry Ruggs, like I said earlier. They have $3.2 million in cap space. Maybe free a little bit more, and you'll be able to do it. Contender? Eh. Probably the least of a contender out of any team on here, but I would... Like, they're definitely not tanking. I'm not sure if I would say contender. Good quarterback, I think Derek... Sorry, Derek Carr is a good quarterback, yes. Chiefs. $3.2 million in cash space. They'd have to make a little bit more. Targets, I don't think he would get any targets with it. Or not. I don't think he'll get as many targets as he wants. And I see that being a big problem for OBJ if he goes to the Chiefs. Is he a scheme fit? Yeah. Yeah, they like to throw the ball short. OBJ could do that. Uh, I think Beckham is a good scheme fit here, yes. Do they need a wide receiver? They need someone to, you know, boost that entire team, just morale, boost the energy on the team. And I think getting a big-name player like Beckham could definitely help with that. Contender? I'm, I mean, they're the Chiefs. So it's hard to say that they're not. But, I mean, they haven't been playing like a playoff team. But with how good they've been recently, I can't say that they're not a contender, right? Good quarterback. One of the best quarterbacks from a talent perspective in the league. Now, the Colts. Not a lot of people throwing this team into the discussion. I don't really understand why. $2.4 million in cap space. They'd have to make a little bit more. Targets, I think he would get a decent amount of targets, yes. Scheme. Now, I'm stumped on this one. I'll be honest. All right? I don't really know what the scheme would... How OBJ would affect the scheme. I see them changing it a little bit using... A little bit more, you know, routes that go across the field if they have Odell Beckham, but I'm not sure. All right? I think that they, from a scheme perspective, if I'm Frank Reich, I do change the scheme a little bit to get Beckham running more of the routes that he's comfortable with. And I'm not sure how Beckham would play on an RPO-based offense like this. I think he would be good. But I could also see him not really fitting the scheme. I'm not I'm not very sure what to think of this one. Do the Colts need a wide receiver? Absolutely. Yeah, Michael Pittman is having a breakout year. He's playing very well. But a second option would be really nice to help Carson Wentz. Are they a contender? Yeah. I think all the teams here are contenders. At least somewhat. Good quarterback. I think Carson Wentz is a pretty good quarterback. He's been playing pretty well. Now, the last team that I'm going to talk about, that I'm going to go into break, and after the break, I have a really, really exciting topic to talk about. The last team I'm going to talk about is the Seahawks. They have by far the most cap space, but I, I everything else, personally, to me, just doesn't seem to align. I don't think he'll get a lot of targets there. 
I don't think he fits the scheme that much. Russell Wilson doesn't really throw it, doesn't really throw the the slants, doesn't really throw the in-breaking routes. He normally likes to throw it down the field across the sideline, which Beckham could do, but there's better receivers to do that. You know? I think if you're getting Odell Beckham, you want your scheme to perfectly match what Odell Beckham does. You don't want to be changing your scheme for Beckham. All right? Because it's the middle of the season. It's not the offseason where you can adjust the entire offense. It's the middle of the season. You're not going to have time to, you know, dial up an entirely new route tree just because Odell Beckham doesn't fit the scheme that you've been running all year. If he doesn't fit your scheme, you shouldn't sign him. And Beckham does not fit the Seahawks scheme. Do the Seahawks need a wide receiver? Absolutely not. I don't think they do. Are they a contender? I mean, they're the Seahawks, but they're also 3-5, and five, so it's hard to say. And then good quarterback? Yeah, Russell Wilson's a good quarterback. But still, I, I don't see that happening. Even though they have the cap space to make it happen, I, I, I think the Seahawks are pro- are not very likely. All right, I'm going to really quickly go on break. When I get back, I'm going to talk about my midseason award winners, not who I predict to win each award, who I think has won each award if the season ended today. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast, and we'll be back after this message. And welcome back to the podcast. I am going to go over who my midseason award winners are. These are not predictions on who I think will win the award by the end of the year. These are who I think won the awards if the season just ended today, randomly. Let's start with the MVP. Now, I predicted this guy to win it before the season started. And as of right now, he's proved me right. Tom Brady. He has 2,650 yards, 25 touchdowns, and 5 interceptions. It is crazy that he's this old and is putting up MVP numbers. It is crazy. I get it. He has a really good supporting cast, all of that. But he has still played very well. He still throws the ball really well. Has he had, you know, a bad game or two? Yeah. But when he's playing well, he puts up great numbers. This Buccaneers offense is made for him. And, you know, the players like him. He obviously likes the players. This is his team. This is Tom Brady's team. All right? And this is why he's the best quarterback of all time. The fact that he's putting up these numbers at his age, just unbelievable. This is something I would do in Madden. Like, it's crazy. Now, my honorable mention for MVP, Matthew Stafford. I was very close to putting him here with 2,771 yards, 23 touchdowns, and 6 interceptions. He also played very, very well. If he didn't have that bad game against Tennessee, he would probably be the MVP right now. But, I mean, still just a great season so far. He's done extremely well with the Rams. I bet Stafford, or I'm sorry, I bet Sean McVay loves him. You know, a lot of people, when Stafford first got traded, they were saying that the Rams gave up too much. It doesn't look that way right now. 
to get a quarterback of Stafford's caliber, it cost a lot. And the Rams were willing to pay that price, and right now it seems to be paying off. Now, for Offensive Player of the Year, I have his teammate, Cooper Cup, who may be the best receiver in football right now. 1,019 yards, which is leading the league by a long shot. 10 touchdowns. He's just putting up crazy numbers. No one expected him to be doing this. Not even me, and I was high on Cooper Cup. I knew that he was going to be Stafford's number one target, but I did not expect 1,000 yards after nine weeks. It's crazy. He's putting up more than a touchdown per game. He's having a great year so far. My honorable mention is a player who hasn't even been playing. Or, sorry, hasn't played last week. Yet, he was still so dominant in the time that he has played that I still have him as my honorable mention for Offensive Player of the Year. Derrick Henry. 937 rushing yards, 10 touchdowns, and this year he's kind of been a receiving threat too with 154 receiving yards. He was the reason that that Tennessee offense was so good for the first couple of weeks of the season. He's been absolutely dominant. No one wants to tackle him. He's a freak of nature. Sadly, he got hurt, and he's not going to be you know, stiff-arming eight players every week and giving every single defensive player in the league nightmares. Which sucks, but you know what? He'll be back next year, and he'll be better than ever. Defensive player of the year. This one should be unanimous. Miles Garrett. 12 sacks, 23 quarterback hits, 48 pressers, 34 tackles, 16 tackle for losses. By the way, 16 tackle for losses already ties what he did last year. He has been dominant. No one else has even gotten close to him. He's been getting pressure on the quarterback an absurd amount. It is crazy what he's been doing all year. Having a great season, and I'd love for a player like him to win Defensive Player of the Year because he's earned it. Sadly, he's been overshadowed by Aaron Donald, one of the best defensive players of all time. But now he's finally getting time in the spotlight, and people are really noticing him as the best defensive player in the league, which he hasn't been able to get recognized like that because, like I just said, Aaron Donald. Honorable mention, Kevin Byard. Now, some people would say TJ Watt here, but I I think Byard just has a slight edge over him. 36.4 completion percentage allowed. That's really, really good. One tackle for loss, 42 tackles, 99 yards allowed all year so far. Four interceptions and six pass breakups. He's been a really good safety. I was talking about it earlier, how good of a zone coverage team the Titans are. And Kevin Byard is a huge reason why. Now let's get to the rookies. Offensive rookie of the year, I have Jamar Chase. This one's really unanimous. He might be one of the best receivers in football, let alone rookies. 44 receptions, 835 yards, 7 touchdowns. He's been a deep threat for the team, and the team didn't have a deep threat before this. Joe Burrow put up terrible numbers throwing the ball deep a year prior, but this year he's putting up great numbers throwing it deep, and Jamar Chase is the reason why. He's a, a 
he's a very polished route runner now, which really surprised me because in college, that was my main problem with him. He, you know, he would win the 50-50 ball. He was sure-handed and everything, but he wasn't the greatest route runner. Now he added good route running and good speed to his arsenal. He's unstoppable now. My honorable mention is Najee Harris. Yeah, I didn't have T.J. Watt as my honorable mention for defensive player of the year, but at least there's still a stealer on this list. Uh, you could make the argument for Mac Jones, but I, I want to give Najee Harris his respect. 479 yards, three touchdowns, 273 receiving yards, two receiving touchdowns. He's been a very good player, and for fantasy, don't even get me started. He's been phenomenal. I wish I had him on my fantasy team. Would have really helped if I drafted him and stuff. Stupid Antonio Gibson. But that's a side tangent for another time. Najee Harris has been extremely good, for, especially for a rookie, putting up great numbers and has been the only reason that that Steeler offense can even get a first down. Let's be honest with ourselves. That Steelers offense would not be anywhere near as good as it is right now, and it's not even that good if it weren't for Najee Harris. Now, what about the defensive rookie of the year? Micah Parsons, 51 tackles, 15 tackle for losses, 5 sacks, 25 pressures, 15 quarterback hits. He plays all over the field, probably one of the most versatile players in the entire league. I, I knew Micah Parsons was playing well. I did not know he was playing this well. He is playing amazingly, and he's doing everything, which is a, the shocking thing about it to me. Like, 51 tackles, 15 tackle for losses? As a rookie with only nine weeks, that's crazy. And then he also has five sacks and 25 pressers on top of that. With 15 quarterback hits, he's having a very, very good rookie year. My honorable mention is Patrick Sertain. 48.9 completion percentage, one interception, and nine pass breakups. He's having a pretty good rookie year. Micah Parsons is having a way better one. I don't think it's really close. But yeah, Patrick Sertain has still had a very good season so far. Coach of the year, I have Cliff Kingsbury. That You can't really debate that. 8-1 and one right now. I, I was sleeping. I was a huge Cliff Kingsbury doubter going into this year. I was saying that he was what was holding this Cardinals team back. But uh, now that he's, you know helping Kyler Murray as much as possible, giving good play calls and designing the offense well. I mean, he's doing a great job down there, and he deserves the respect. I'll be the first person to admit I was wrong about you, Cliff Kingsbury. Honorable mention, Sean Payton. It's hard to lose your Hall of Fame quarterback and do well when you have to play in the same division as Tom Brady, all right? Give Sean Payton his respect for that. I understand you maybe want to put Mike Vrabel here or some other player like or some other coach like that. Sorry. But I think Sean Payton deserves a lot of respect after losing his franchise quarterback and still being able to go 5 and 3 with Jameis Winston now out. Let's see how he could do with Trevor Simeon. Now, comeback player of the year. I have Dak Prescott 2,045 yards, 18 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. He's having a very good year. And he's a huge reason that the Cowboys have had such a dominant first half of the season. Now, this is personally the most interesting pick 
to me at least, my honorable mention for comeback player of the year is Derwin James, a player that hasn't gotten any respect, it seems like. We were all talking about how huge of an impact he was going to have coming back from an injury with the Chargers, but it doesn't seem like anyone's talking about how good of a year this guy's having. 67 tackles, 8 tackle for losses, 1 interception, 54.5 completion percentage allowed, 129 yards allowed, 1 touchdown allowed. That is really good. He's been great in run support. He's been great in coverage. I mean, just the total package at safety can play everywhere on the field. I'm loving what Brandon Staley's doing with this kid. Now, let me get to the power rankings. All right? Number one, I think this one's obvious. And keep in mind, the power rankings have changed severely with all the upsets that happen. But number one, this is really the only safe pick, the Cardinals. Even without Kyler Murray, even without DeAndre Hopkins, even without Chase Edmonds, the team still played incredibly against the 49ers. They're the best team in the league. I don't really think that that's debatable. I just remembered, normally I go from 10 to 1. This time I want to mix it up, going from 1 to 10. Just because I feel like that's better. With all the upsets, I, I think it's just better to go that way. I'm trying something new. And, you know, if I don't like it, I'll go back to what I normally do. Number two, I have Tampa Bay. They are extremely good, extremely talented. They have talent all over the place. Tom Brady, I just talked about it earlier. He's the MVP of the first half of the season. And, you know, if he keeps playing like that, he's not only going to win MVP, he might have one of the best years for a quarterback ever. This offense is loaded, and he's just executing it to perfection. And then the defense is great, too. The problem is their secondary is a little bit off with all the injuries, but, you know, the players are only going to get healthier. And as they come back, this team's only going to get better. My number three is the Cleveland Browns. They killed the Bengals. Killed them. And that, that was a huge statement win for them. I think the Browns deserve to climb up this ranking a lot after a great game like that. Baker Mayfield played well. They got rid of OBJ, which is good because it seems like the team almost plays worse when they have OBJ. The defense is phenomenal. Like I said earlier, Miles Garrett is a great defensive player, defensive player of the year right now. Now my number four. Yeah, I get it. They they only put up seven points last week. They lost to a team that only put up 13 points. But th to me, that win, that loss made this team look better in my eyes. Holding the Chiefs to only 14 points is not an easy task. And the Packers defense did that. If Aaron Rodgers were playing, they don't just win that game. They smoke the Chiefs. I don't care how bad the team is with Jordan Love starting. Because Jordan Love is going to be the guy starting in the playoffs. So I don't really have them falling that far in this ranking because of that. Alright? I still think this team's one of the best in the league. And I don't see that changing. If their defense always plays like that, this team might actually make it past the NFC Championship for once. My number five, Tennessee Titans. Even without Derrick Henry, I didn't even have them in the top ten last week because they lost Derrick Henry. 
and they just made me eat those words. I mean, the Titans played very well against the Rams, and I think the main reason for that was Mike Vrabel. He did a great job game planning against the Rams. Speaking of the Rams, they're my number six. Matthew Stafford is still a great quarterback. Yeah, you know, one bad game, but I'm not going to have them fall that far because of one bad game. They're still an incredibly talented team, the best receiver in football, one of the best quarterbacks in football, and now with Von Miller there? Are you kidding me? This team is going to be scary when Von Miller's there. Keep in mind, Von Miller wasn't healthy against Tennessee. Now they're going to have Von Miller, Aaron Donald, and Jalen Ramsey on the same defense. That's three of the best defensive players of the past decade on the same team. Not fair at all. Number seven, Dallas Cowboys. I'm not really freaking out over that loss against Denver, all right? I'm only going to start freaking out about it if they have another big loss like that. But until then, I'm not, I don't really care much that they lost that game by that much because every team is going to have a bad game or two. It's just bound to happen. No one's perfect. Number eight, New England Patriots. I think this team is going to find themselves climbing up this ranking a lot. I think the Patriots are a very good team, very well coached. Their offense is insanely efficient. May not be great, may not be high scoring, but it's efficient. That's what Josh McDaniels wants. And when your defense is this good, all you need is for your offense to be efficient. Number nine, give me the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I get it. You lost to Jacksonville. Say the jokes now. Josh Allen's better than Josh Allen. Say those jokes now. But don't be surprised when this team's representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. They're still a damn good team. Like I said with the Cowboys, every team has a bad week or two. The Bills are going to bounce back. The Chargers, they're, they're just good. All right. Justin Herbert. Had a great game against the Eagles. And that game was a little bit too close to, for comfort, I will admit. But I, I think this offense, this just team overall, I talked about Derwin James. Joey is a great defensive player. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. I mean, it's a stacked roster. And their offensive line is great too now. Austin Eckler wasn't really involved in that Eagles game for some reason. I think once they get him more involved... With these great defensive players and great offensive players, who we all know they have, this team is going to be a real threat in the AFC. Anyway, that's all I have for this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. I hope to see you guys again next week. If you want more content, check out No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces on TikTok or Instagram.